Please open up to Psalm 89. It is humbling to stand up here. It is quite a privilege to also be able to open up a topic that has been very dear to me the last few months. Um, in my studies on the doctrine of God under Pastor Nichols from Catskill, uh, one of our assignments was to take an attribute of God and to expound it. And I chose to write on the faithfulness of God. And I was surprised to find in my, my research that this is a, an attribute that has been very briefly treated in a lot of very faithful systematic theologies. And so I need to acknowledge my indebtedness to Pastor Nichols right off the bat and for his organization of thought. Uh, God's faithfulness is actually mentioned at least 150 times in the scripture, which is more times than God's holiness is mentioned and more times than God's justice is mentioned. And we're going to be looking at the comprehensive testimony of the scripture today on God's faithfulness. And so we'll be jumping around various passages, but we'll begin by reading the first eight verses of Psalm 89. A mascal of Ethan, the Ezraite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you that your existence and your attributes do not remain a mystery from us, Lord, but you reveal yourself to us. You show forth your invisible attributes, Lord, both in our consciences and in the world and in especially, Lord, in your recorded word. So we pray, Lord, that as we study who you are, Lord, and your perfect character, and especially, Lord, your perfect character of faithfulness, Lord, we pray that you would open up this doctrine, that it would be clearly understood, Lord, that it would grow us in our own faith, and Lord, that you would be glorified through this. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if the world were to erect a, a hall of fame for faithfulness, who would be the first inductees? Perhaps it would be Akita, a Hachiko, who is an Akita. And Akita is a large Japanese breed of dog. And Hakita is known for being faithful to her owner. Her owner was a Japanese professor back in the 1920s. And every morning, Akita would go with her, or Hachiko rather, would go with her professor to the train station and watch him get on. And every afternoon, she would return and walk him back home. Well, one day in 1925, the professor did not come back because he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage at work and he died. But for the next nine years, Hachiko returned to that train station and waited for her owner to come home from work. Or perhaps we would induct Bernadette Adams. And Bernadette has been married to her husband for nearly 50 years. But what really makes her 
the, uh, uh, one of the greatest faithful wives in all of history, is that out of those 50 years, her husband has been in a coma for 40. You see, he was a soccer player. And after he suffered a minor knee injury, he went to the hospital and was accidentally given too much anesthesia, which caused him to have a massive heart attack and left him in a coma. And for the next 40 years, Bernadette ministered to her husband, insisting on attending to his daily needs, missing only one or two days over the course of the 40 years of his hospitalization. Or maybe we'd induct a faithful employee, somebody who's only missed one or two days of work and shows up when there's a snowstorm. Or the faithful fan who stays to the ninth inning when their team is down 10 to 1. But our purpose today is to look at how the Bible defines faithfulness, not how we define faithfulness. And so we need to see what the testimony of the scripture has to say, what God has to say about himself. So first of all, let's consider the definition of faithfulness. Faithful is an adjective. It's a descriptive word. It's a term that describes a person or a being who elicits trust or belief. Somebody who is faithful is someone who has proven themselves worthy as the object of our trust. It is not somebody who is full of faith because they are showing faith, but it's somebody who is the object of our faith. And there are many instances in the Bible where men and women are called faithful. Moses is called faithful in all of the house of God. And Paul describes Timothy as his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And of course, in his parables, Jesus describes the good and faithful servants. And in all of these cases, the one who is called faithful is a person who has proven himself to be true to his word and true to his work. In other words, he is someone who means what he says and is going to do what he says he will do. And Jesus himself gives a definition of faithfulness. In Matthew 24, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time? And he answers, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing. The faithful servant is the one who is doing his master's will, who is doing what he's been charged to do and has promised to do. And faithfulness of man, we also need to remember that this one is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And just as we can observe maybe a measure of love and joy and peace in the unconverted because of God's common grace, we're going to come across those in the world who are faithful, even though they're not believers. But for those who are truly converted, a growing faithfulness will testify to a regenerated heart in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, that is the faithfulness of man. Consider, in contrast with this, the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness that we see in man in scriptures and in the lives of believers today is only a shadow, it's only but a dim reflection of what we see of the perfect faithfulness of God. And just like all of God's divine attributes, his faithfulness is essential to his being. If God ceased to be faithful, he would cease to be God. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If God were to be unfaithful, it would be to deny who he is. Our faithfulness is a grace, and it's given to us by God. And our faithfulness and the faithfulness of man is dependent upon God. But God is dependent upon nothing outside of himself. He is by his very nature a, a faithful God. In Romans 3, Paul writes again, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. 
in eternity past, when only God was. He was already faithful in himself, just as he was already perfectly good and just and holy in himself. And man might prove himself to be faithful over time, and yet man is still capable of stumbling, even the most faithful, even as we just read of Joash. Yet God is no more capable of denying his faithfulness than he is of denying his infinity or his holiness or his simplicity. And God is faithful just as surely as God is truth. And there's a close connection in the scriptures between God's faithfulness and God's truth. His knowledge is true and his wisdom and his power and his justice are true. He is the God who never lies, we read in Titus 1. And when God speaks, he only speaks the truth. Whether he speaks through his prophets or he speaks through his son or he even makes his voice to be audibly heard by humanity, he never lies. He is never mistaken and he's incapable of deceiving us in any way. And similarly, God's written word is truth. When we read our Bibles, we can trust every word of it because it's been breathed out by the unchangeable God of truth. And so if every word that is spoken by God is true, then we can be sure that he will be faithful to do everything that he says he will do. Well, for the rest of our time, let's look at how God displays his faithfulness. And there's two main ways that he does this. He does it first in his faithfulness to his word. And he does it in the second place in his faithfulness to his work. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 7. Maybe leave your finger there in Psalm 89. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Moses is addressing the Israelites here. And he says to them in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You see, it is the unwavering faithfulness of God that separates him from man. And it's this faithfulness that separates him from false gods. Solomon even prays, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. He's referred many times in in the scripture as the God who keeps covenant. Not as the God who makes covenant, but as the God who keeps covenants. And his his display of faithfulness is right before us when we see him keeping his promises. And one reason why it's so vitally important for us to consider this topic of God's faithfulness is that we've become really used to broken promises. We receive promises of man with a degree of skepticism because we've all been on the receiving end of broken promises. So consider with me for just a minute a few reasons why people may not keep their promises. First of all, people make empty promises. And an empty promise is made when somebody perhaps has no intention of following through with what they said. Or maybe they didn't even have the ability to do so. And if you want examples of empty promises, just turn on the TV during election season. Every four years, we're promised lower taxes and more jobs and cleaner air and better schools. And of course, these politicians don't tell you how they're going to bring these things about. And oftentimes, they don't have a plan, but they say what they need to say to get in office. And then four years later, it's the same people making the same promises that they couldn't keep four years ago. Sometimes people make promises, but then the situation will change around them. For example, a mother might promise her children that she's going to take them out for ice cream that evening. And then when they're eating their dinner, a rainstorm comes in and they have to change their plans. 
she made a promise that she couldn't keep. Or maybe a surgeon has an accident victim come in with a broken leg and he promises them after his surgery that he's going to be able to dance at his daughter's wedding. And yet unseen complications come up during surgery and they leave that man paralyzed. Many promises are broken simply due to forgetfulness. Maybe you've seen movies or TV shows where there's a dad and he promises his son that I'm going to make it to your championship baseball game. And then he gets caught up with phone calls at work and time gets away from him. And when that boy looks out at the bleachers, all he sees is that empty spot next to his mom. Sometimes people make promises and then they simply change their minds. Like a grandmother who has an antique china set and she promises her granddaughter that she's going to pass it on to her when she's 18. And yet as she watches this young girl grow up into a rough and tumble teenager, she has second thoughts about what she wants to do with this family heirloom. And one final reason that people might break their promises is because they use exaggerated words. They say things like never and always, and they don't mean never or always. They say things like, I'm never going to do that again, or I'm always going to be there for you. Or, if you get straight A's on your report card, I'm going to bring you to the toy store and you can buy anything you want. They exaggerate. Yet when God enters into covenants with his people, he does not make empty promises. He will not change his mind. God will not forget to follow through with what he has said. And the situation can't change in ways that God doesn't see because he is completely sovereign. And God does not exaggerate. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means never. And when Christ says, I am with you always to the end of the age, he really means always. Numbers twenty-three nineteen is printed in your bulletins there. And it reads, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Not a single word that God has spoken will fail to come to pass. And the scriptures testify to how God has proven him faithful to keep his covenant promises. We know how he made a covenant with Noah to never again flood the world. And we see even thousands of years later how he is faithful to that promise. He made a covenant with Abraham and to his descendants that he would give them the land of Canaan. And we read in Nehemiah that you are the Lord, the God of, who chose Abraham and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you were righteous. He was faithful to the nation of Israel. He promised to bless them when they honored him as God, and to discipline when they turned to foreign gods. And Joshua, in the final part of his book, writes, You know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Now, we would think that a politician would have a pretty decent track record if he followed through with 90% even of what he made of those promises on the campaign trail. Yet God's track record is flawless. Joshua says not one word has failed. He didn't exaggerate. Every word that he has promised has come to pass. And one final promise we'll look at is there in Psalm 89. And if you're still there in your Bibles, we'll start reading Psalm 89, verse 19 and following. 
And here we have the promise that God made to David. Verse 19, it says, Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. Now listen to these words in verse 24. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and my name shall his horn be exalted. And then later on in verse 28, he says, My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. And then verse 33, But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. God, God speaks of his promised benefits to David here in no uncertain terms. His promises are as good as done, for they are promises from the God who is all-powerful and sovereign and faithful to keep his word. And his promises stand firm. They stand the test of time. Though thousands of years have passed since some of these promises have been made, God does not alter his terms or change his mind. And David can rest in God's covenant, just as we can rest in God's promises. For they come from the God who cannot lie, and has sworn once and for all by an infallible standard. He has sworn once and for all by his own holiness. And he cannot be false to his faithfulness any easier than he can be false to his holiness, which would be to deny himself. So we can see from the scripture how God is faithful to keep his covenants and he is faithful to keep his promises. And that is a great encouragement. And yet on the flip side of the coin, we also need to look to see how God is also faithful in keeping all of his threats. And if Deuteronomy 7, the passage we just read a moment ago, I'll read it again in verse 9 and we'll continue on to verse 10. Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So just like there are such things as empty promises, there's also such things as idle threats. Children are especially good at picking up on idle threats. Maybe you can imagine a family on their way to the amusement park and they're two hours on the road and the kids are fighting in the back seat. And the dad looks in the rearview mirror and says, if you two don't knock it off, I'm going to turn this car around. Or maybe the parent of a dishonest teenager says, that's it. You're grounded till you're 25. Now, do these parents actually intend to follow through on these consequences? Many times, it's more about the shock factor, trying to scare these kids straight. But when these idle threats are made, we learn pretty quickly that they're not going to be followed through. And if we just let them cool down for a minute, then things will be better. Now, to illustrate this, I have, I have one more illustration to share. When I was in college, I had a, a summer job working with the son of one of my college professors. 
And when he found out that his dad is my teacher, he wanted to tell me a story about one day he and his brother shared a room and his dad walked in and it was just a disaster. There are toys all over the place. And his dad said, I'm going to come back in here at lunchtime and anything that's left on the floor is going in the garbage bag. Now, among those toys on the floor was a set of like vintage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures, like the first edition. And so these boys really thought that they were calling their dad's bluff until he came back in at lunchtime with a garbage bag, took every one of those Ninja Turtles and put it in. Now, you might be tempted in that situation, and I might be tempted as well, to take that garbage bag and stick it in the attic and say, in a couple years, we'll give it back when they've learned their lesson. But what my professor did is he waited till garbage day and made his son sit in the picture window in the front of the house as he walked the garbage bag out to the road and handed it to the garbage man. And this lesson stuck with, with his children, that their dad did not make idle threats. God does not make idle threats. And yet, he doesn't follow through with his threats just to illustrate a point, as my professor did. He follows through with his threats because he is the faithful God, and every word he speaks will be accomplished. Has he said, and will he not do it? Just as he is faithful to keep his steadfast love with those who keep his commands, he is equally faithful to destroy those who hate him. We read in Nahum, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Surely as he'll fulfill every promise he has spoken, he will be faithful to fulfill every word of threat against the wicked. Remember the, the words of Elihu to Job. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him. And according to his ways, he will make it befall him. See, God is just in his faithfulness. Just as he is good and sovereign in his faithfulness, he is just in his faithfulness as well. And just to illustrate this from the scripture, think about how the words of that, that the Lord spoke through Jeremiah to Judah, warning them over and over again that if they did not turn from their evil ways, that he would give them over to Babylon and that Jerusalem would burn. And he was faithful to keep that promise. For we read in Second Chronicles 36, they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its places with fire and destroyed its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. God follows through on his threats. And I trust that you can see both in his promises and his threats that the testimony of the scripture is clear that God is faithful to his word whether it's spoken through his prophets or his, his apostles or through his son. Think about Jesus who said that truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, not an iota of, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. There's no detail too small that God will leave unfulfilled. Well, before we move on to look at how God is also faithful to his work, consider just for a minute how his faithfulness to his word applies to our own lives. First, God's faithfulness is the very basis of our faith. Hebrews 11 has been nicknamed the, the hall of faith or the heroes of faith. 
And we see in this chapter examples of men and women who are commended for their firmness in their faith and the assurance of things hoped for. And when we come to Sarah, the wife of Abraham, in verse 11, we can see that her faith was not placed upon God blindly, and her faith was not placed upon God unfittingly. Verse 11 reads, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You see, it was God's faithfulness to keep his word that served as the foundation and the spring of Sarah's faith. And for us, we can put our faith with full confidence upon God because he is faithful to his word. And the more we know his word and explore his word, the more we can grow in our faith and our confidence that God will truly do everything that he has said he will do. Well, God's faithfulness to his word also gives Christians great reasons for hope and encouragement. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Believers can look to the future with confidence that God will be faithful to bring about every one of his promises. And though we are told that we are going to suffer in in this lifetime, it is that sweet assurance of deliverance from remaining sin and the assurance of the bodily resurrection and assurance of glorification with Christ that give us hope for the future. And these are promises that have made by the faithful God and they are as sure as God is faithful. John Brown, in his exposition of Hebrews, has a quote that I'd like to read. He says, speaking of God, he can as soon cease to exist as cease to be faithful to his promise. So let us be unwavering in our faith and growing in our hope, for God is faithful to his word. But finally, God's faithfulness to his word should also strike fear into the hearts of all unbelievers. The testimony of Scripture is clear that those who reject God will be rejected by God. And these are not idle threats. God is faithful to his word, and he will be faithful to bring justice on those who reject him. And so for those who have sat through Sunday school lessons, and those who have sat through family devotions and sermons, have catechism questions memorized, and yet they remain separated from the grace of God and separated from his son, Jesus Christ, remember that God is faithful, and he will either be faithful to punish or faithful to deliver you. He will not change his mind or alter the conditions of his promises or the conditions of his threats. To reject the faithfulness of God is to reject God. It is atheism of the heart. So for those of you who aren't in a saving relationship with with Jesus Christ, turn from the foolishness that rejects his word and trust in his faithfulness to deliver you. We'll consider in the next place, now that we've seen how God is faithful to his word, how God is also faithful to his work. And the two works that we'll be looking at in the time we have today are his works of providence and his work of redemption. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness, we read in Psalm 33. And concerning his work of providence in Psalm 119, we read, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. God is not the divine clockmaker who created the world and then stood back with his hands off, but he is the good and faithful provider for all of his creation. 
He not only set the moon and the sun and the stars up in their spots in the sky, but he's been faithful to keep them on course, to keep the earth in orbit, so that even unbelievers have come to trust the reliability of the change of seasons. They know that there's going to be seasons of growth and seasons of harvest. God promises Noah that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And it was this promise to Noah that inspired the hymn writer to write those words that we sang moments ago, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So the testimony of his faithful providence is on display even to the unbelieving world. And Paul, when he is speaking to the men in Athens, he says that God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains. This is the God that feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lily. And the Psalms are full of the praises of God's faithfulness to provide for his creation. We read that the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. And in another place, we read that he covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. In the 6,000-some years since God created the universe, he has never taken a day off. He has never forgotten or been able, un, unable to preserve and provide for his creation. His faithfulness as provider is so clearly on display that it leaves the heathen without excuse for their belief. And yet the faithfulness that God reveals in this work of providence is not only meant to give the world proof of his, exist, his, his existence, but to draw the world to him, that they might know the faithfulness of his great work of redemption. So in our remaining time, let's consider how God's faithfulness is on display in his great work of redemption. And it's on display in every step of his redemptive process, starting with how he has promised redemption. Paul, writing to Titus, says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In eternity past, before the creation of the world, before the creation and fall of man, God had predetermined to deliver men from their sins. And Paul underscores the certainty of this redemptive work by saying that it was a promise, a promise made by the faithful God. And this promise is made before creation when only God was. And so this promise to save lost sinners was made within that perfect triune Godhead. And the promise from eternity past encompasses the fullness of the plan of redemption, from election to the atonement to man's sanctification. These were all part of God's promise to graciously give eternal life to his elect. And this promise was made by the faithful God who never lies. Well, God was not only faithful to promise redemption, but he was faithful to accomplish redemption. And we can see through Christ the faithfulness of God. As Jesus Christ fulfills every single prophecy, every single promise made regard regarding his atoning death and his victory over sin. And perhaps we still remember from a week ago how Pastor Sarver talked about right on the heels of man's fall into sin, how the first thing that God did was make a promise. 
he promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And Christ was faithful to fulfill this promise and every other messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. In Hebrews, we're told to consider Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. He was faithful to leave glory. He was faithful to empty himself and take the form of a man. He was faithful to be humiliated to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as the shadow of the cross loomed nearer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that the cup would be passed from him. And yet he is faithful to submit to the will of his Father, to endure the agony of the cross, to endure the anguish of bearing the guilt of all the sins of God's elect and the horror of being forsaken by his Father. And though Jesus, who was fully God, could have summoned 12 legions of angels to deliver him from his captors, he was faithful. He opened not his mouth, but was like a lamb led to the slaughter. So praise God for the faithfulness of Christ, that not only was redemption promised, but that it was accomplished. And in securing the redemption of every last one of God's elect, that the sins of many would be put to his account and his righteousness put unto ours. Well, God not only demonstrates his faithfulness in promising redemption and in accomplishing redemption, but consider also how the Bible has many instances where it gives examples of God's faithfulness in the lives of, of his saints as he forgives them and sanctifies them and preserves and comforts and protects them in their lives. Consider first how God is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We start with this conditional statement, if we confess our sins. And the Greek verb here is not a, a once and for all, I, I confessed, it's done. But it's an ongoing, it's a process it implies a habitual and honest acknowledgement of our sins. Maybe it's if we are confessing our sins. It implies a life that's marked by true repentance, where we don't make excuses for our sins, and we don't hide from them in shame. It speaks of a regenerated heart that pleads with God to search it, that it could expose those sins and be made right with God. And after this conditional statement, if we confess our sins... The repentant sinner is assured in no uncertain terms that God will accept that confession and freely pardon their sins. For it says God is faithful and just to forgive. Man is not left to wonder if God will accept his confession. He's not left to doubt. And perhaps there are some here who have suffered or are suffering even today from a doubting conscience. Maybe you feel the weight and the guilt of your sin but you hesitate to confess it because deep down you doubt God's forgiveness. Your conscience convicts you of your sin, but the magnitude of it keeps you from coming to the throne of grace. Why well, I would urge you not to doubt God's faithfulness. He is faithful to forgive, and to be unfaithful would be to deny himself. And he is just to forgive, for the wrath of God has already been poured out once and for all upon his Son in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. And God will not change his mind. He will not grow impatient or frustrated with us. But just as the repentant heart continuously confesses, 
our faithful God continuously pours out fresh grace and stream of mercy to cleanse and forgive. He's faithful to forgive, that is to cancel our debt, and he is faithful to cleanse, which is to restore to us the joy of our salvation and to enable us to stand in good conscience and have a good fellowship before the Lord. And he is faithful to do it. We'll see how in the next place, God is not only faithful to forgive us our sins, but he is also faithful to deliver us from our temptations. 1 Corinthians 10.13, such an encouraging verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And God's promise here is twofold for us. He promises first to limit our temptations. God knows our frame and he knows that we are but dust. And in his fatherly compassion, he limits our temptations to what we can bear. That's what the verse says. And secondly, he provides the way of escape. He doesn't leave us in situations that we cannot bear or situations that we cannot possibly escape from but he provides deliverance from temptation. And he does this in his faithfulness. For every temptation that we face, we can be sure that he is faithful to provide that way of escape. Well, in the third place, under this heading of how God is faithful and the application of redemption, hear the words of Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We next have the assurance that God will not only limit our temptations, but he'll actually deliver us, provide escape for his children from spiritual foes. We're told that the, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And you would like nothing more than to cause a Christian to stumble. And we're reminded again and again throughout the scripture that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, and yet God does not leave us without defense. And the kids from this church could tell you about how God gives us his spiritual armor. They remember from Vacation Bible School. How he provides the sword of the spirit. And he gives the shield of faith that we might extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Yet our best defense is God himself. He promises to be faithful to guard us against the evil one. And in our spiritual warfare, God has already come to our aid countless times and in ways that we can't even see and he will remain faithful to do so until the battle is won well in our progressive sanctification and this ongoing battle against remaining sin god is not only faithful to forgive and to deliver us and to protect us but he is also faithful to afflict us psalm 119 i'll be reading a few verses here maybe you can turn to psalm 119 with me We'll be reading first verse 75, Psalm 119, 75. We read, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And perhaps this sounds strange to us. How is God being a loving and faithful father to afflict us? We'll look at verse 67 from the same chapter. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
and in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So for believers, when we fall into trials, when we suffer, we need to remember that we are being afflicted by a loving and faithful father who disciplines the ones that he loves. And he chastises every son that he receives. And he is faithful to afflict us for our own good, that he would deliver us from our remaining sins, as, as the psalmist writes. He is faithful to afflict us so that we would search his word and we would deal with the remaining sins in our lives and be progressively transformed into the likeness of his son. He does this for his, our own good and he does it faithfully. And although God afflicts us in his faithfulness, he also promises to be faithful in his mercy and in his compassion. A well-known verse here from Lamentations 3. We'll read 21 through 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Again, we have assurance given to all believers that their Heavenly Father will show them mercy and he will never fail to do so. And earthly parents, we're called to show mercy and we're called to show compassion to our children. And yet we're all guilty of losing our patience. We're all guilty of failing at this. Yet God's mercies, they never cease. And his compassions, they never fail. Surely as God is faithful to cause the sun to rise every morning, he will be faithful to continuously comfort and support his spiritual children as he provides fresh grace and a stream of never-ending mercy and compassion for them. Well, God was seen how God has been faithful to promise redemption. And we've seen how God accomplishes it and applies it to the lives of his believers in faithfulness. But see now in the final place how God is also faithful to bring this work of redemption to its completion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The concluding verses of this, this book we read, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times people stop right there. But listen to the, to chat, to the verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul concludes this letter to the Thessalonians with a sincere wish that when their Lord, the Jesus, their Lord Jesus Christ returns, that those who have been called will not have fallen away, but they'll be preserved and kept blameless in their spirits and in their souls and in their bodies. And yet, this is more than a wish, for it carries with it not a shred of uncertainty. It's a promise, for he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. The assurance of this complete sanctification rests not in the righteousness of these believers in Thessalonica, but in the faithful work of God. And he writes similarly to the Philippians, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is sure of this. Now, how can Paul be sure of this? Because this is a promise made by the God who is faithful, who cannot deny himself. 
The same God who is faithful to keep his promises of redemption is the same God who is faithful to accomplish it through Jesus Christ and apply redemption to every one of his spiritual children. And it is that same God who carries his redeemed people across that finish line and brings this good work of redemption to its ultimate completion. Now, Christians are promised that persecution and suffering is going to be a part of our lives. Yet those who have their foundations built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ will be able to withstand these trials and persevere to the end. Christ has given eternal life to all who the Father has given into his hand, and no one will be able to snatch them out of his hand. Just as our salvation is a gift of God, not our own works, our perseverance in the faith and the completion of our redemption is not a work of ourselves, but is a work of the faithful triune God. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So let us not doubt for one moment that God will be unfaithful to this great work of redemption, just as he is faithful to keep his work of providence, and he is faithful to his word. And when we consider God's faithfulness, we need to cling to it, even as, even as uh, Sarah did, as the basis of our faith, that it should shape every aspect of our Christian walk. As those who are redeemed and united with Christ, We are called to be faithful in all that we do. We need to imitate God. We're called to be holy as he is holy. And we need to be faithful as he is faithful. We need to let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. We need to be careful not to make empty promises or idle threats. And we should similarly be faithful to the responsibilities and the works that we have. Responsibilities to our family, to our home, and the workforce, and here in the church. And when we detect weakness in our own faith, when we look at ourselves and say, how how could I have failed to be faithful? How could I fail to not have a greater faith in God to deliver me from this? Let us look to the unshakable faithfulness of God and to read his promises and to internalize these promises that we would think them and pray them with the assurance that not one word that has been spoken will fail to come to pass. God's faithfulness should change our perspectives when we are afflicted. God afflicts us for our own good, and knowledge of his faithfulness will help us to trust him in these situations. And God's faithfulness should shape our prayer life. We should be like David, who prayed, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. We should pray to God to be faithful to his promises. He's promised to do good things for his people, and it should encourage us to come before him and pray. And it should encourage us to pray for him to search our hearts, that he would expose those remaining sins because he is faithful to forgive. It should encourage us to find those sins and to come before the throne and to lay them before the God who is faithful and just to forgive us. And finally, as we anticipate coming to the communion table and partaking of these elements, Remember the words of of Jesus in Matthew 26 when he took the cup and he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as we anticipate reflecting on the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus, 
Let us remember that this was a new covenant. And this covenant was made by the God who keeps covenants. And though God is true to all of his promises, he seals this one. For it is the covenant made in the blood of Christ, of his beloved son. And we can have full assurance that this new covenant will stand firm. God will not be false to his, his faithfulness. He will not violate his covenant or alter his words. So I pray that no one would suffer unnecessarily here from a doubting conscience. Don't hesitate to confess your sins. For God is faithful and he is just to forgive them. And he has promised this and sealed this promise with the blood of his only son. So let our faith rest firmly and confidently upon the covenant promise of our faithful God, his promise to save all who call upon the name of his son Jesus, whose blood was poured out for the forgiveness of many. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we confess, Lord, that we when we look at our hearts, we see a weakness of faith. For Lord God, you have proved yourself to be the most faithful. Lord, we pray that we would not be shaken in our faith, that we would not hesitate to hang on to these promises that you have made, Lord, for your every word is truth. We pray, Lord, that you would grow in us a, a, a greater faith, Lord, that you would be true to your word and true to your work. We pray for the believers here, Lord, that we would be those who are um, continually, Lord, searching our hearts and bringing our, our remaining sins before you, Lord, that we would be restored to a good fellowship, to the God who is faithful to forgive. We praise you, Lord God, for your faithfulness to deliver us. We praise you for your faithfulness, Lord, to protect us from the evil one. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to give us new compa to daily compassions and new mercies, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you here. We pray, Lord, for those especially who have heard your word preached many times, who have a head knowledge, Lord, of you, have a head knowledge of the gospel. And yet, Lord, they, they hesitate. Lord, we pray that you would give them the confidence, Lord, that you are faithful to keep your threats. That you will repay evil with evil. And you will not repay, uh, you will no sooner pay, repay evil for good as you would good for evil, Lord. We, we pray, Lord, that these who do not know you would trust in your faithfulness to forgive. In the faithfulness of Christ, Lord, in the accomplishment of redemption, Lord. We pray that these things would take root in our hearts, that it would shape our lives, Lord, and that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.